Brown Show. The Matt Brown Show. This is the Matt Brown Show. Matt Brown Show. This episode of the Matt Brown Show is powered by Entrepreneur Magazine. Luck is definitely a factor. I mean, we didn't know that Apple was going to explode the way that it did. You know, we didn't know that it was going to become the biggest company and, and uh, uh, you know, the, the, the revenue was going to uh, overshadow the likes of Google and Microsoft. The, the, the idea of that was completely foreign to us at the time. Hey guys, so we've seemingly heard it all before, right? You know, that classic rags to riches story of an entrepreneur who, despite all the odds, has built a business that has stood the test of time. Well, here's the thing. For me, these stories are becoming rarer to get a hold of. You see, it is becoming harder to build big businesses from scratch, especially for aspiring entrepreneurs who haven't acquired what seasoned entrepreneurs often refer to as the MBE, or masters in business experience. And it's for this reason that when stories of entrepreneurs who have succeeded are shared with other entrepreneurs, lessons and insights are invariably gained. And ultimately, this can make the difference in your business succeeding or failing. Now, one of those stories is the one of Robin Olafia, who launched his first business with two partners, just 5,000 Rand and a dream. But fast forward to today, and DigiCape is a 240 million rand a year business. In this episode of the Matt Brown Show, we are going to explore the story of how Robin and his partners have built an entirely self-funded business that's heading for the half a billion rand mark. So without further ado, enter Robin Olivia. Starting a business is never an easy thing to do but especially when you are bootstrapping the business with just 5,000 Rand. But sometimes this can be a good thing. We, we just didn't know any better, to be honest. <laughs> we, uh, we had an idea. Um, we wanted to do things better than what other people were doing. And uh, we, we only knew how to go one way, and that was forward. Uh, we did that with uh, a, a very small startup capital, 5,000 Rand. Um, so we had to succeed. There was no choice. In the matter, I love this story because I was interviewing uh, Michael Van Straten, the founder of um, uh, Verimark, or the CEO of Verimark, and he also started with five thousand rand. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> magic like a, number, yeah, I know it's a magic number. So if you guys are wanting to start a business, start with five thousand rand. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out that the catalyst to starting this business was, in fact, another failed business which had nothing to do with computers and everything to do with beer funny enough um i thought it was the only other thing that i know more about than computers is beer so we started importing <laughs> beer from zimbabwe <laughs> oh man it's such a long story uh, but but I, I will say and not to be cliched but a uh, hell of a lot of lessons learned that helped me through building this next phase um with digicape after this failed business beer venture, it was 2009 and Robin Olafia, Ashley Legg and Roberto Ferreira launched Coza Digital with a shared vision. The vision at the time was just to do something better than what everybody else was doing and make lots of money. 
doing it. Cosa Digital. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cosa Digital. What a name. <laughs> <laughs> until, like, until we got sued by, Afri- uh, by the Cosa registration, uh, they took umbrage at the name, so <laughs> we had to change. Yeah, of course they did. Like the dot-com company. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but like most startups, they entered a period of uncertainty and it all happened within the first six months. The first six months was very interesting because uh, we got sued sued by our old company on restraint of trade, but uh, managed to circumvent that. And then, uh, yeah, we, you know, we, we were very lucky because we, we had very good support from customers, loyal customers from, you know, previous businesses that we were in. And um, they, they've set that foundation. So the platform was set from there. Um, we grew more customer base from there. And then we also got into sales. Within the first six months, we realized that uh, time-based bidding is, is not the way to go. Um, if we were going to make any sort of real money out of the business, we had to sell the hardware. Yeah, time doesn't scale, right? Time doesn't scale. After successfully negotiating the first year of business, Robin and his team were already starting to think about scaling up and began entertaining ideas about how best to do this. One of those ideas was a possible merger. People who know me will tell you that I'm not the most patient person. So this organic growth was a nice idea, but wasn't going to work for me. I needed to, I needed to see double-digit growth. Uh, and, and so that, hence why I wanted to go the merger route, um, to make a bigger entity, to make a bigger company, and to have a bigger impact in the market. So the first merger was actually in 2000. It was, it was actually the easiest merger that I've ever been involved in. It was literally just myself and another guy. We got chatting. Um, he was actually wanting to exit the, the industry, and he wanted to look after his staff. He pretty much just gave everything over, including his customers, the easiest of all. And I thought, wow, you know, if this is if this is how you can grow, then long may this last. As a result of this merger, Coza Digital had doubled in size, and the growth strategy was working for them. But Robin wasn't satisfied, and in only its second year of operation, had already entered merger negotiations with a company called Syntec. But this time, the merger was a lot tougher. So we went on to the next merger, and that was probably one of the toughest mergers we've ever done. <laughs> um, that was in 2001, and that's when DigiCap was officially formed. So if I understand correctly, your strategy was actually about scale, yes, right? And what's the quickest way for us to scale and get the biggest share of the market yes. in as short a time as possible? Yes, it, yes. until uh, 2001, actually, the, the, the DigiCape merger was um, actually a result of Apple pushing us because Apple was becoming more mainstream. Steve Jobs had returned. Uh, the iMac was doing really well. And, and I think the iPod had just been released, I think, in 2001. So, so there was a lot more viability to mainstreaming Apple. Before that, Apple was underground brand in South Africa um, before 2001. So we, uh, we were actually encouraged by Apple to grow through merging and creating bigger entities that could have more impact in the IT sector as a whole. And that's, and that's why we did that merger. Uh, I suppose that's in Apple's interest, right? So you're a reseller of my products. I want you guys to get as big as possible. The market from a reseller perspective, support services perspective is pretty fragmented. So what does, does the big brand want you to do? We want you to, to merge and get as big as possible. Consolidate and grow. That's it. 
And talk to me about integration because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about the term merger. So I've been in agencies before and where, you know, a digital outfit gets acquired by a big traditional ad network and they call it a merger, but it's actually more like an acquisition. The cultures of the business, well, I should say the acquirer's culture stays the same, but the company that's being absorbed or consolidated into the, the bigger entity, generally speaking, that culture becomes massively affected. So when you were merging and uh, with Syntech, I think it was yes. at the time, um, how did you approach things like integration? Yeah, I mean, integration wasn't even something we were thinking about. Uh, culture wasn't something we were thinking about in those days. Uh, you know, we, we, did, we had no formal um, management training or anything like that. So we, we looked at other things like how big is the business, what is the revenue, uh, what is the customer base looking like, et cetera, et cetera. It was a shock uh, when we did the merger because everything else lined up. You know, all the boxes ticked in terms of the customers, the revenue. We, we were mirror companies of each other. But then an unexpected turn of events transpired where the business post-merger did only 350,000 rand in its first month, which was millions short of what they expected. It was a shock. Uh, we, we literally had the conversation, what have we done? You know, and and uh, uh, we, we kind of came to the conclusion that what we've done was right and was all for the right reasons. And, and um, we had to believe that that was a once-off and we can say now that it was, and it grew very quickly from there. So, Yeah, I call it the come-to-Jesus conversations. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot of blind faith, man. <laughs> a lot of blind faith. Now, at the time, revenues weren't the only problem for the business. As it turns out, the cultures of the two businesses were radically different. And with this brought entirely new challenges that had to be overcome. We were mirror companies of each other, except the culture. The culture was completely different. Um, and it was a real shock when we we joined. In fact, so much so that one of the partners left, uh, Ashley, um, my very good mate from school. He actually left uh, because he couldn't adjust to what was emerging as a new culture. It was a really, really big lesson. It took us a long time to come to uh, what we needed to do to, to integrate the two cultures more effectively. Uh, and, and ultimately it came down to creating a DNA, literally designing a new DNA, vision, mission, uh, values. And, and until we did that, people were just doing their own thing. Everybody was off on their own tangents. Uh, and and it, was, it was, I wouldn't say toxic, but it, it was unproductive. Yeah. When you say a mirror image, what do you mean? Because let's say I'm Matt Brown Media, my company's in the business of producing Let's just say they were in the podcast industry. Mm. If there was a mirror company, what would that mirror company look like? Do you know what I mean? Like, how, what are the kind of criteria that an entrepreneur should look out for to say that if I want to adopt a similar strategy uh, to DigiCape, and it's actually all about scale and creating an entity that can literally own an industry, mm. then what criteria does an entrepreneur look for in a company that's a mirror to your own 
but that if merged together could secure that market share? My answer is very different now to what it would have been then. Uh, you know, um, the mirrorness of the two businesses was just in terms of, uh, you know, the size of the company, the number of staff. Uh, it was very easy to merge those two and work out a shareholding agreement and everything else because we literally were like almost to the rand, a, um, a replica of each other. Same number of staff. Um, same revenue, uh, everything was the same. Uh, we were able to create the critical mass by, by saving on premises, saving on this and saving on that, you know, shared resources that we could, we could save on. For me now, what is more important is the culture. Um, it's about the values and it's about the vision. And if you align that, then it doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, merger, acquisition, it's, it's all the same as long as everybody's heading in the same direction. And the, the critical, the critical element is that, that vision and the values. Do you have to be selling the same thing to the same customer or can you be selling complementary services to the same customer? Uh, absolutely complementary services. You know, I think there's a lot to be said for focus and, and making sure that, uh, you know, you're not, uh, defocusing by by uh, spreading out too thin, but if the solutions are aligned or the products are aligned, definitely you can do that. Again, it's just about that culture. It's about that DNA. But once the merger was concluded, DigiCab's turnover had almost doubled to 14 million, despite the complexities of the merger. And a lot of this growth, Robin puts down to just plain luck. I think luck has to be a conversation uh, to be had because, uh, you know, you put yourself in, in the right places to benefit from luck. But luck is definitely a factor. I mean, we didn't know that Apple was going to explode the way that it did. You know, we didn't know that it was going to become the biggest company and, and, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the revenue was going to uh, overshadow the likes of Google and Microsoft. The, the, the idea of that was completely foreign to us at the time. But it did happen and we managed to grow along with that. And, uh, you know, as long as we were aligned with what they were doing, we benefited from it. And so, you know, there, there, there was a lot of luck involved in, in what we did. The timing of, you know, okay, maybe not December, but the timing of our merger and strengthening and um, looking at uh, retail when we did, everything just happened at the right times. Uh, and so that was also a lot of luck. Yeah, I mean, you got to, but you got to make your own luck, right? You do. I've had the same point being made. Thank you for making it again. But I've had the same point made over and over and over about luck. You just have to put yourself out there and see what happens. And invariably, a lot of people talk about starting businesses they talk about scale and expansion and making the hard yards you know work for them but in reality a lot of people just sit on the fence and think about that they don't actually execute it same thing with me i mean if you look at podcast consumption over the last five years 50 percent of that has happened in the last 12 months sure. i just got lucky yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Obviously, it's not all luck. <laughs> no, no, no. But you, you, you definitely put yourself in there. But um, you're 100% right. You know, it, it is about seeing the opportunity and then jumping in and taking a risk. Uh, risk taking is critical. Um, and, and I suppose that's where what looks like luck is actually, you know, putting yourself in the right place. You know, when, when you do get into a stream that is growing, uh, it, it really does make a big difference. 
but oftentimes that's not the case, right? <laughs> so Bahar, I want to ask you, and I love going here because for me as a entrepreneur, CEO, or a future CEO, your ability to make great decisions is actually the game, especially when shit gets real. Mm. You know, like we've just done this merger thing. It's a risk. It's hugely risky, right? You don't know what's going to come out of it. You're actually just evaluating a paper play essentially. But then when you sign that thing, that's when the rubber hits the road. And that's when you kind of, you know, the cultures were different and you would do things differently and all that kind of stuff came out. Um, and so when things get really real for you or for entrepreneurs who are listening to us right now and they're in the trenches and they're stuck inside the bottle and they can't read the label, what advice would you give to them from your own experience about how to approach the big decisions in business? I think firstly, you have to be very honest with yourself. Um, you've got to know what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. And, and uh, when, when you identify your own weaknesses, you can then surround yourself with people that strengthen your weaknesses. Um, and, and that is very key for me because that's where you go to. So, so first of all, you've got to, you've got to have uh, the vision. It's got to be clear. You need to understand where you're going. Uh, you need to you need to have people around you that you trust and that makes you stronger. Um, and you've got to have a real passion for what you do. Um, uh, the passion is what really gets you through those dark times, and and the belief in in you know the products that you sell. In my case, um, or whatever services you might offer, other entrepreneurs, um, podcasting, and so on. So if you if you really love what you do, um, you've got people around you that you know you can trust and advise you, especially around your weaknesses. Um, then then generally you can make the best decisions. Yeah, I call it the three P's, passion, perseverance, and perspective. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because when you're executing, you're actually, that's perspective. It's funny because it's the one thing that you probably need more often, yeah. actually, when it comes to decision making. I, I definitely manage to surround myself with people that don't always agree with me, <laughs> which is also important, you know, to to have your decisions or your viewpoints challenged, um, mulled around, thrashed around. And then ultimately what comes out is the best decision. Another big decision came about when Digicap looked to expand its retail footprint and opened its first retail store in Joburg in 2008. But just a few months later, the global financial crisis hit and it cost the company millions. We opened in June 2008 and uh, the crash came in October 2008. You know, I suppose it's that's the it's the opposite of luck <laughs> you know it's those unforeseen uh circumstances either positive or negative that that really impact the business and uh it, it was a it was a big impact for us you know um i think that little lesson uh although there wasn't too much that we could take from that per se but um you know that investment was about five or six million rand that uh, took us a while to recover from Physically, emotionally, you know, on so many different levels, you know, it really made us question what we were doing and how we were doing it. it took us a while to to really come to grips with that. And uh, and I guess this must have affected your culture in a massive way. I mean, you know, if a business, I mean, we're, we all know that another crunch is coming. And if you cast your mind back to 2008, it was like the great cull. You know, a lot of businesses that were okay literally vanished mm. and it was only those businesses with sort of forward-looking business models and a culture that could actually support 
the change of the business in order to get through these tough times. Those were the ones that survived. Yeah. You know, so what did you most learn? I mean, when you look back or when you look back at that experience, what jumps for you as a kind of key lesson that entrepreneurs listening to us right now can apply in their own businesses should another crunch come? Yeah. Yeah, we we kind of took the approach with the, the 2008 crash that um, – we we're going to keep our people. We're not going to we're not going to retrench. We're not going to downscale. We're not going to consolidate. We're going to just keep pushing. And uh, I, I think on the surface of it, that was culturally a great a great statement to make to the company. But in hindsight, it was wrong. You know, in hindsight, what we should have done is been a lot more realistic about it. And um, so, so the, the lesson for me was really about the difference between minority and majority um, in terms of culture and, and your, your people. And we have responsibilities to the majority. And sometimes it means that there's a minority that needs to be let go in order for the majority to succeed and excel. And we didn't do that. And I think it hurt us more in the long run. Um, so I guess the lesson is that, uh, you know, you've got to be real. It's, it's all good to, to be this very people centric organization, but there's a time where you have to make those tough decisions. And there's a time where, um, irrespective of, you know, what the message you're sending out will be, you have to take those decisions and you have to, you have to scale down, when you need to, as much as business is all about scaling up, that scale down is also important uh, at the right times. Now, despite losing money on the store, DigiCape persisted with it for another couple of years until eventually the decision was made to close the store. It also happened to be the first day of Robbins Tenure as CEO of DigiCape. So 2010 was when I took over as CEO of DigiCape. And my very, very first task was to fly up to Joburg and tell everyone that they're going to be retrenched. Um, it took us two years to get to that point, but uh, that was my very, very first official duty as CEO at DigiCape. Um, and it was really tough uh, because, because you had to face the failure. You had to say this didn't work and it was the first time the first time uh, throughout everything that had happened at DigiCape it was the first time I mean when we opened the retail store in Cape Town uh, we literally doubled our, our revenue um, from the first month uh, it was just unbelievable so the thought that we had done something again that didn't work was was really hard but it wasn't as hard as having to come up here and tell the people that they no longer had a job. Uh, there was a lot of mixed responses. I mean, a lot of people were like, well, we, we knew this was going to happen. Other people were like, this is my life. I'm, you know, uh, what am I going to do now? Through all of that, we actually managed to, with consultation with some of the staff, we managed to actually keep the branch open. And um, we managed to keep a few key members. And our Johannesburg branch is actually flying right now i love coming up to joburg by the way it's uh it's just so much energy but the um 
just coming and seeing the people and seeing how they've grown as well over the time has, has been very, very rewarding for me. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. The rest of the show is coming up shortly, including what Robin calls his watershed moment as a leader. But now a quick word from our sponsor. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Entrepreneur Magazine, South Africa's how-to handbook for starting, managing, and growing companies. In this month's issue of the magazine are four cool articles, which I recommend you guys check out. The first one is called The Seven Must Implement Motivational Habits That Drive Millionaires. The second is called The Simple Blueprint for Startup Success, and you know how we love blueprints. Thirdly, there's a really cool test that you can take to find out if you as an entrepreneur are hindering your own business success. And finally, there's an amazing piece on how to unlock funding by attracting investment groups, finding franchise funding, and essentially how to really make your startup capital go the extra mile and work harder for your business. And you can get this edition of The Entrepreneur Magazine at all leading retailers. So it was 2010 and Robin had successfully navigated two mergers, but during the retail footprint expansion, there were difficulties to say the least. But these experiences had taught Robin a hell of a lot about the differences between being a leader and then being a manager. And much of his inspiration today has come from Liz Wiseman's book, Multipliers, which he recommends that every entrepreneur read. There's a big difference between management and leadership. And uh, what we see is a lot of management and not a lot of leadership. Uh, and too often uh, I, s- I observe other companies where um, management micromanage their staff and, uh, and, and I sometimes just want to shake them and say, you know, you're doing it all wrong because what we've learned, uh, what I've learned is uh, leadership is actually not about having the best answers, which is exactly what I did believe. I, I, I thought everybody looked to me to have the best answers. The reality is you actually need, as a leader, you need to ask the best questions. And, and what happens is that you, you literally are turning people into um, productive engines. Uh, so by micromanaging, effectively what you're doing is you you stopping people from, from thinking for themselves and they're waiting for answers from you as... Uh, a leader asking the best questions you're leading people into making decisions for themselves to thinking for themselves and and the whole principle is that 
micromanagement on that level basically means you're paying somebody a hundred percent salary for fifty percent productivity and through the multiplying you can get hundred percent salary and two hundred percent productivity and and in principle that sounds great and everything else but how does it work in reality and i can tell you um after a couple of years uh it works unbelievably well so when i see leaders sorry managers in other business micromanaging and saying all the right things all the you know uh, people are our best assets and everything else and then micromanaging people i just want to shake them and say listen you know he has a copy of a book i think you should read man um it is that it is that profound and it has been that profound and life changing not just for me but everybody that works with me at digicape yeah one of the great um, anecdotes from that book it's when someone comes to your desk and says here's the report that i've written mm. or here's an output mm. that the business has asked me to create let's just say it was uh, a podcast right yeah. Bad example. Yeah. Maybe it's a great example. Great example. <laughs> but, um, but let's say it was a podcast, right, that someone else was doing for my company. All I'd say to that person is, once they send it to me, is, is this your best work? And it's funny because when you ask the question, they ask themselves, is this the best work that I could have done? And it's funny because out of three people you'll say that to, all three will take it back and redo it. No, for sure. It takes a long time to have the confidence to say, yes, this is my best work, right? Um, I, it, to start off with, people are always going to be like, oh, you know, I can do better. I can do better. And and again, it's, it's that thinking for themselves. It's the ability to want more. Uh, the trust that I'm allowed to make some mistakes, which is another key thing in that book, by the way, is allowing people to make mistakes because mistakes is what helps us grow and improve. Then that when when that that trust is built, that's when the magic starts happening. So that question, is this the best you can do? Nine times out of ten, the answer will be no. I can do better. But when it starts to come back and say, right, yeah, this is the best I can do, that's when the magic starts. These leadership principles have culminated in what Robin refers to as a formula for success that any entrepreneur can apply in their business. And it's a formula that they are applying in the DigiCare business every single day. At the foundation of success is definitely the culture. We spend as much time working on that as we do on anything else in the business. But the other three pillars is finance, strategy, and data. And they all sit on top of culture because... You know, without the, the, the right people with the right attitude, um, heading in the right direction, none of that makes any difference. So finance is the, the, the absolute uh, lifeblood of an organization. And I think certainly, certainly at DigiCape where, you know, Apple is a low margin business. So we, we low margin, high volume. We have to make sure that the, the, the finance model is right for us. Um, so we, we definitely have that as one of the pillars. And, and I think any business, whether it's a startup or a, a scale-up business, investment is going to be critical, right? The second is the strategy. Very important. You know, absolutely has to be right. We spend a lot of time working on the business. So, you know, getting out of that jar to read the label, we, we try and do that as much as possible. Uh, we actually set aside time to do that in the business with the, the senior leadership. And then the, the last one is data, and especially in this day. Data is everything, but one of the key pivots in the business was when we started sharing the data 
with everybody in the business. So to, to bring in that transparency uh, and, and actually showing people how they are doing as individuals, as teams, as divisions, and, um, and how they're performing against targets. And, and that data and the sharing of that data has been absolutely critical to the success at DGK. It's created positive competition internally. It's for management to, to see exactly what's happening in the business. And, and the way we've set up the systems is that it updates every hour. And previously, you know, we did management accounts, we did quarterly results, we did annual results. And those are the only times that we would actually look at, you know, what worked, what didn't work, what can we do next? What do we, but it's always like a two or three month response time. Uh, now, with that sort of level of data access and sharing, we're able to respond hourly. Uh, and it really has made a huge difference in terms of how we finish up every month. In 2016, the DigiCape business tripled its profits. And so I asked Robin what motivates him and the DigiCape business to keep growing at such a rate. The honest truth is it's the passion for what we do. Um, it's cliched, and you know, but it is true. And uh, I would I would strongly urge entrepreneurs to to find something that they love, that they really love. Because when you get out of bed and you're excited about going to work, uh, it makes a hell of a lot of difference. Um, I don't think people can succeed doing something that they don't really love. So it's, it's never about the money. I think the the profits in the business is an outcome. It's a it's a scorecard, but it's not the scorecard. Uh, for me, it's it's all about the passion and loving what I do, and uh, that's what gets me motivated. To be honest with you, if it was all about money, I probably <laughs> would have jumped out a long time ago. It's taken a while to get to to a scale where um, the business is is profitable. So, what's in store for DigiCape in the near future? Well, Robin had this to say: We wanting to go into more regions. We want to take that education message. We want to take technology and education and how it can really make a difference. And hopefully, somehow through all of that, make an impact in South Africa that will be long lasting. This episode of the Matt Brown Show was proudly sponsored by Entrepreneur Magazine, South Africa's premier business destination. You can get it now at all leading retailers. The Matt Brown Show. This is the Matt Brown Show. Matt Brown Show. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.